Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman in our new Sunday morning Pacific Time recording session. Bruce, I hope you're having a better Sunday morning than the Red River Rivals. Yeah, quite a dud. Uh, It feels like both of them come into this game on two-game losing streaks. Obviously, Texas did find a way to pull it out against Texas Tech last week. But then, once again, Gary Patterson got Texas. Uh, just, it didn't, you know, it, looking back, it was like, wait, how were they a double-digit favorite against TCU? They did not look like they were the faster team. They definitely didn't look like they were the better team. Uh, and then Oklahoma uh, last night, similar issues that they keep having. Bad tackling, defense breaks down, so now some issues on offense. Um Neither team looks like they belong in the top 25 at this point, by the way. Yeah, and I still, it's interesting because OU's the one on a two-game losing streak. And by the way, how remarkable is it that they managed to go 21 years without losing two games in a row? That's, there's many, 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 many teams that have lost way more than two games in a row during that time. Um, But they... Or often when we discuss OU or when people discuss Lincoln Riley and OU, it's often about what they haven't accomplished more than what they have and reaching the playoff but not being able to advance past that. This team is the first one where it feels like that's not even really in their orbit. I'm not writing them off completely, but there's a lot of reasons why this isn't this this just doesn't look like one of his, you know, teams that he's had in the past. And I think it's interesting that um, we got to the point. I think we just got a little bit spoiled and just assumed that Lincoln Riley could just plug and play anybody and still have this lethal offense. And quietly over the offseason, I mean, they had – obviously they were already going to be relying on a less experienced quarterback than they have the, with these, these transfers over the last four years. But uh, Kennedy Brooks, their star running back, opted out. Trey Sermon, who was his backup, transferred to Ohio State. He may be the starting running back at Ohio State. Ramadre Stevenson would have been the number three back. He's still suspended by the NCAA. So uh, guess what? The running game tails off eventually. You can't. That doesn't go on forever. They've had this unbelievable assembly line of NFL receivers. They've got young receivers right now, and none of them have really emerged as the next cd lamb by any means and then of course uh you and i are taking some flack on twitter because we've been very effusive in the past about alex grinch and his defense appears to have gone in the wrong direction yeah i mean on that front look uh, you know part of why i was so sold on grinch is because he did a remarkable job at washington state 
right now, beyond just a talent level thing, because it's pretty underwhelming, the personnel they seem to have, but I just think it's like you look at, it's this, it seems like it's the same thing over and over again. When things start to go bad, they snowball and get worse. They don't tackle well. Um, and I think what you, you, what you said, it's not just losing a bunch of good quarterbacks. Now it's like CeeDee Lamb was a guy who really scared defenses all over the field. And you just don't see quite the same efficiency of a team breaking in a young quarterback. And it feels a little bit like some of the the frustration of you can't offense can't solve all our problems all the time anymore and you know it's not now it's not surprising to see Oklahoma lose these games before you know when K-State got them last year felt like a huge upset and certainly last week K-State was a huge underdog but I don't think when your defense has been consistently this mediocre I don't think it should be any big shock when they lose games now, right? Like I wasn't, you know, we'll talk to talk about Texas in a second, but look, and maybe this is still, they still may well be the best team in the Big 12. And I think that says as much about the Big 12 maybe than it does about Oklahoma at this point. I mean, last year, Oklahoma State had, a, had one of its most talented teams and I our crew did the Bedlam game and it wasn't close, you know? And that wasn't like, a world beater Oklahoma team by any stretch either. Um, and so when you look at this, it's like, yeah, they got a, they forced a turnover. There was a sack force fumble late in the game. And all of a sudden it was like this huge uh, adrenaline rush from, from Oklahoma. Like they had just found water for the first time in 40 days in the desert kind of deal. And it's just kind of a, it's a puzzling situation. I think right now as, as to, you know, it just seems like their guys are in their own heads, and this is a hard thing, I think, to to reverse when it gets to this point. I think if you go back to last season, the backslide really began about the middle of last season. Um, I mean, as as on the on the bigger picture, right? It, it, you look at Oklahoma's record the last several years. I mean, they go tw- they win the Big Twelve, they go twelve and one every year. That's the picture of dominance from a from a broader perspective. But then you look at how they got there and you remember last year, the last year's Iowa state game. They were very, very fortunate to win 42, 41. And they should have been, uh, by the way, they were up three touchdowns at half. There was, there should have been like two pick sixes that, that were basically dropped or didn't turn out to be that way for Jalen hurts. They were, they should not have had that big of a lead anyway. Like you said, they were very fortunate uh, that night in, in Norman. The first Baylor game last year, they remember they had to make a huge comeback to win that game, 34-31. The Big 12 title game went to overtime. They were fortunate to beat TCU, by the way. That wasn't a, yep. that wasn't a shootout. They were lucky to win that game. And then even when even with Kyler Murray, who number one draft pick, uh, I mean, their defense was so terrible that year. Remember the shootout against West Virginia? Just, just to keep that team's playoff berth alive, that too required... Basically, what I'm trying to say is for all the firepower and the Heismans and whatnot, they've been kind of living on the edge for the last few years because they can't count on their defense at all, with with a couple exceptions. Their defense played very well in the Red River game last year, for one thing. But um, And so I just feel like now, when you don't have a, a Heisman-ready quarterback, when you have a, a very talented quarterback, who, by the way, made some great plays last night, um, but he's not perfect. He's still learning. He threw the interception at the end. Uh 
there's no margin for error because you can't tackle anybody. The running game's not what it has been. And so they're 0-2 in the Big 12. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Would not have guessed coming into the season they would be 0-2 in the Big 12. They're already two games behind their rival, Oklahoma State, who is 2-0 in the Big 12. So which one, though, are you more concerned about, OU or Texas? Uh, Texas. I because agree. Lincoln Riley's proven, you know, there's no question that he's the guy for that program. And I still, I'm not off the Alex Grinch bandwagon. I think at some point they will get it figured out. It's, I thought it would have happened by now. And it's been a lot of two steps forward, two steps back. But the Texas side is a different deal completely. Uh, Tom, Term, Tom Herman basically fired almost his entire staff last year. And again they have the same issues but i think you know i'm gonna ask you point blank on this do you think tom herman's gonna ever gonna be the guy to lead texas to a legit top 10 finish and a and a big 12 title going forward do you see that in this future am i having a severe case of deja vu right now or have you did you literally ask me that same question word for word at some point this offseason I might have. I mean, like, so like, like nothing seems like there's nothing surprising about how this is played out. I mean, you know, like, and this isn't a reflection on, I, you know, Chris Ash, I think is a good defensive coordinator. He's, he was proven he was. I actually think Todd Orlando was a very good defensive coordinator. You know, the, some of the guys who were, were, you know, blown out of there, I think those were pretty good assistants too. Um, and I think Sam Ellinger has covered up a bunch of flaws I'm not saying he is he is uh, Joe Burrow or anything, but I think he's a really, really good quarterback, and I think he's a great leader for that program beyond just the football piece of it. But, you know, you can talk about whatever recruiting classes they've had. Tom's been there a while now. I mean, these are, these are his guys, and they don't, you know, they look like they are closer to Texas Tech right now than they look like they are anything in the top five. I mean, that's, they look like that's the level they're basically at, right? Um, you know, I, last year, I was in Austin when they played Texas Tech the day after Thanksgiving. Texas Tech was without its by far best defensive player, Jordan Brooks. And Texas was in a deep hole in that game. You're like, what is going on with these guys? It's just like, I, I, I don't want to say I don't understand it, but it's been... It's curious because just take Texas, I don't say take Tom Herman out of this for a second, but like um, Charlie Strong did a terrific job at Louisville. He recruited and developed players and left that place way better than he found it and everything else. Then he went to Texas and there were there was some moments where you're like, okay, this thing's going to turn and it never did. And then Tom Herman got there and certainly there was a year where there was an uptick and an upswing, but it just went way backslid back into wherever it's been for the last decade and i don't know after seeing a little bit of it's now not to say they can't go off and run the table but there's no indication that anything like that is coming from these guys because we haven't seen it before yeah so you're right i mean he's in his fourth season now these are his players and you know our, our guy ari wasserman we love him he's our recruiting guy his slogan stars matter i agree with that from for the most part Texas, though, if you were if somebody wanted to make the case that stars don't matter, Texas would be Exhibit A. Uh, I'm looking right now at because when I watch Texas play, I don't see, uh, you know, jump off the screen like from the minute Derek Stingley started playing at LSU. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. 
I get what that hype was about. And you see that a lot with, uh, you know, the, the freshmen that are playing at Clemson right now on the defensive line or Jerry Judy is a freshman at Alabama. These big-name recruits that come to Texas, like I'm looking at their 2018 class, ranked number three in the country. These guys I'm about to name, you know all their names. They do play, and then sometimes they play well, but they're not like the guys we were just talking. Caden Stearns was a five-star. B.J. Foster was a five-star. Jalen Green, four-star. Marvin Overshawn, four-star. Brennan Eagles, four-star. Anthony Cook, four-stars. Those guys all play. Josh Moore, four-stars. He's at times been their best receiver this year. So those guys all play, but uh, they don't jump off the screen at you like when you turn on an LSU game or a Clemson game or an Alabama game or an Ohio State game. Uh, so they're recruiting at the same level. They're not playing at the same level. Here's the problem I'd have with a little... Ari's premise to me is faulty in this regard, and I love Ari too, but the idea that you immediately use the word talent as what the star ranking was is a faulty premise because... Yes, stars matter, but a lot of times there are guys who get their stars elevated necessarily because which programs are recruiting them. And that I think that is not entirely, um, you know, there, there's carryover to that. By the way, the best player Texas may have right now and the best prospect in the NFL's eyes, he was a three-star guy, Sammy Cosme, when they came in. So sometimes it's the developmental guys, oftentimes it's the developmental guys who turn out to be the better players. And so I would be more inclined to say, who's going who's gonna to define what, quote, a talented program is, is ask the other coaches in their leagues who eyeball it every week or ask the NFL scouts who eyeball it and see the perspective. Don't, folk, don't get caught up, sucked in so much on talent as to what somebody was evaluated with when they were 16 or 17 years old in shorts and a t-shirt. Again, that's not a knock on the recruiting world, but it is a, I think it's a faulty metric because you would have the same issue to some degree with the University of, with Florida State as well, where it's like lots of high ranked kids who for one reason or another have not lived up to it. I mean, I think you could make some of the similar argument, honestly, in College Station, and we'll get to Texas A&M a little later on, but there is something where it's, it starts to there's a disconnect there. I, to me, it's it's something beyond that, which is the question of you know it's player development. I think this it's challenging when you've when you've turned over a staff, which he basically did. Um, you know, I it, I don't know. Like I would ask you this again. Come back to my original point. Like I mean. Which would you be more surprised of if Tom Herman is still the head coach at Texas in 2022 or if Texas is a playoff team? Hmm, that's that's quite a question. Uh, which would I be more surprised by? I would say Texas being a playoff team because they it's not like – there's nothing about them through last season. You know, obviously after the Sugar Bowl win over Georgia – things seem like okay things might be on the up but they still lost four games that season they followed that up by going eight and five last year they're two and one to start this year they could have easily lost the texas tech game there's nothing about this situation right now that says they're right on the cusp now again you know i heard i watched his post-game press conference and he talked about how they keep beating themselves and it's true that game both teams were just a ton of penalties the big 12 refs seemed like they wanted to be the stars of the show 
but that's been the that's been Texas mo for two years now. They're very undisciplined. Um, they 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 commit a lot of penalties. They commit a lot of turnovers. And so no, I, this doesn't seem like it's a program on the cusp of challenging for playoff contention. Um, I do think in general the recruiting rankings are are more accurate than they've ever been, and the teams that are winning national titles and going to the playoff generally are the teams that are signing the most four and five stars, but you have to do your own evaluations. And I think that where Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State distinguish themselves is they're signing the right four and five star guys based off their own evaluations. I don't know if Texas whiffed in the evaluation or they're just not developing the guys. There's any number of factors that can go into that, but it's not as simple as I sign. I mean, we signed the most four. We signed the number three class in the country. We're good. It's what happens once they get there, and you're just not seeing that development. Uh, you just don't see. It's interesting with both Oklahoma and Texas. I don't know if it's a self fulfilling thing at this point, but you just don't see big time. Kenneth Murray was a big time player on defense for Oklahoma last year. Um, Malik Jefferson was a big time player, although inconsistent at times when he was at Texas. But for the most part. You just don't see those guys. You see a lot of good but not elite players on those teams' defenses, and it's got to be pretty frustrating for the fans at this point because it's year after year after year. So given uh, what we saw, we've saw, we seen from these two teams, given Iowa State's huge win, first, it's pretty unbelievable, first time they've beaten Oklahoma in Ames since 1960, Oklahoma State being the only undefeated team left, uh, West Virginia knocked off Baylor, who you got in the Big 12 right now? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm still inclined to think Oklahoma will be the will be the one at the end. Um, I'm the the team that I'm probably most, you know, I like I don't say most have a soft spot for. But I think is just like is Iowa State because I do think they have some weapons with Brock Purdy and good tight ends and Brees Hall's really good and they play really hard. Uh, and if the talent gap is pretty negligible, and I'm not saying they everybody has exactly the same, I wouldn't bet against Iowa State this year, just because I feel like that is the culture of the program that he has built, and it's pretty consistent. It's not to say that there isn't any of the others, you know, factors in there. I mean, look, to me, um, TCU is very intriguing because I know how talented Max Duggan is. And I know Gary Patterson's a brilliant defensive coach and they got a lot of speed there. I don't know if they have enough, like, consistent guys around Duggan, but, like, they're a, they're a dangerous team too. But I guess I would lean to... Maybe I would lean to Iowa State. Um, let me, you know what? Let me just go all the way out there and say Iowa State. I, I my, my, uh, it's one of those where like my gut is telling me one thing and my head is telling me the other, and my gut is telling me Iowa State and my head is telling me eventually Oklahoma is going to get this figured out because I do think those guys 
uh, I do think those guys are really good coaches. But so far, it's just it's just not happened. And on that side of the ball, and I'll say Iowa State. You? Yeah, I mean Oklahoma may get it figured out, but they're already zero and two. So unless they run the table, or unless the entire Big Twelve is six and three at the end, I don't think they're going to make the conference. I think the I, I think the Big Twelve is going to be like kicking each other in the shins for the whole for the whole fall, pretty much. I think there's yeah, going to be a lot of you, know, you lose this week, I lose next week, kind of deal. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't be the the. You could, you could see a scenario where the Big 12 title game is two teams that went 6-3, and three, or one went 7-2 and two and the other went 6-3. and three. I like Iowa State. I think that, uh, you know, I think you saw them at their best last night, Saturday night. But remember, they lost their opener to Louisiana. And then last week, just a week ago, it was down to the wire finish against TCU. Iowa State won that one 37-34. So to get at what you hinted at just a second ago, don't write off Gary Patterson and the Horn Frogs. Uh, so you know, close loss to Iowa State, followed up by a nice win over Texas. Um, they've been off the radar for a couple years now. I'm wondering if maybe, and, and they didn't play until that Iowa State game because they had their SMU game postponed. So I'm wondering if maybe they're going to end up being a factor. But I don't want to write off Oklahoma State. Um, they they're playing great defense, which is very unusual for them. And they haven't had their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, available since the first series of the first game. Chuba Hubbard's obviously still Chuba Hubbard. So I'll be interested to see what they can do once he comes back. Um, if they can keep this up, you know, obviously they're off to they're off to a good start. Um, it, if I if I was guess who, who's going to play in the Big 12 title game, it wouldn't surprise me if it's like Oklahoma State against TCU or Iowa State against TCU. Or Iowa we'll State go, against Oklahoma State. Go out on a limb, please. Of pick one team. Yeah. Um. It's not really going out on a limb, but I'll say Oklahoma State. Okay, there you have it. Um. So we talked a bunch with Seth Emerson, mostly on the Georgia perspective, uh, the other day, and the Bulldogs put up a dominant showing against. Auburn, four-seven game that didn't look like both teams were that close. Stetson Bennett was uh, was a little bit of a revelation, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. The buzz I had heard from people I trust down there said, "Hey, he's got a little Baker Mayfield in his game." This staff thinks, and he did enough things that I think would make you say, "Huh, this is an intriguing fit." Considering how good they are on defense, the offensive line looked a lot better. Last night than it did a week ago. Um, I don't know how much are you how much are you buying in on Georgia? I had them number three in my Saturday night top ten, which by the way does not include anybody who's not played yet. But I'm intrigued by them. How much are you sold on the dogs? I'm back on the bandwagon. I jumped off it for one week. I fell for the Florida hype for one week. Not that they. Or you know their offense is playing great. I'm not gonna say that they're overrated by any means, but that was the first game in in a long time that where Georgia that reminded me of the Georgia 2017 team that made the national title game, where they just obliterate you on the line of scrimmage. Dominant defense. I mean, say what you will about Auburn, they've had some issues, but they're better. I mean, Bo Nix we saw in the first game has gotten better. They've got good receivers. They just completely shut them down. 
and then you don't need Stetson Bennett to be Joe Burrow. Uh, and, th- and that's why I make the 2017 comparison. What he did uh, last night reminded me a lot of what Jake Fromm did as a freshman on that team where, hey, you don't need to be a star because they that team had, uh, you know, that team had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Roquan Smith. Like, you didn't need a star quarterback. You just needed him to be good. And that's what he did. So I think they can win a lot of games with that formula. The interesting thing with them is that and this is what I love about a 10-game SEC schedule. You know, big Auburn game, prime time, top 10 teams. you got to turn around next week and play Tennessee on CBS. And then the week after that, Alabama. So I can be on the Georgia bandwagon all I want. That's a big ask for them to still be undefeated after the next two weeks. Yes, uh, and that's fun that, that these games are lined up like that. It's good to be in the middle of... of uh fall you know it was cool i mean we don't see the weather here like this yet but i forgot maybe it was iowa state that i was watching the game last night i'm like hmm that looks like october the way everybody's bundled up yeah Yeah. and then but just you know the games you're talking about tennessee georgia um and you know look when butch jones was there they did have some top 25 teams but it was like huh there's going to be something to circle on this game to watch you know because because tennessee looked looked very strong uh yesterday so um, and I don't want to slight Alabama, but I thought Alabama just completely outclassed A&M. Kellen Mond, I thought, actually didn't, you know, played reasonably well. Um, it was just Alabama's receivers are so much better than everybody else that they're going up against right now. I think that Alabama is in a class of its own, and certainly in the SEC West, possibly the SEC. We'll see when they play Georgia. And the key thing there is, you know, same dynamic offense, plug in another deep play receiver. Uh, Mac Jones is playing great. Najee Harris is who he is. Uh, their offensive line is great. Um, the, 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 the unusual thing about last year's Alabama team, once they lost Dylan Moses in the preseason and had to rely on a bunch of freshmen, is they were very ordinary by their standards on defense and especially against the run. And they, you know, you said, like you said, Kelamon played okay, but they just completely shut down AM's running game. And if that's what it's going to be going forward, if they're going to be your typical Nick Saban run stuffing team, they're going to be awfully hard to beat. No doubt. Uh, but look, it's a long season. I think we'll see uh, some serious ups and downs. Um, so on the record now, you are back thinking Georgia is the team coming out of the SEC East. Is that, did I? Uh, uh, yes, I, okay. I am back. Uh, my one week love affair with the Gators. Look, Kyle Trask is great. Kyle Pitts is great. Um, Everybody's great, Stu. There's a lot of great here. I'm here. <laughs> I don't know that Florida. Florida is basically. Um, well, first of all, they've played Ole Miss in South Carolina, so they haven't. I think Georgia had got a you know better measuring stick against Auburn than than Florida has had to this point. Um, they're gonna at some point they're gonna have to run the ball against somebody. They're not just not, not everybody's gonna just uh, let Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts throw the throw the ball all over them. And then I don't I just don't know what to think about Florida's defense right now. You just you've just kind of come to expect them to be great every year. Um, but Ole Miss, who has a good offense, let's I think that's clear after two games, was able to do a lot against them. And then even South Carolina got back in it. I think Florida took their foot off the gas on offense. Uh, in the second half, and, and South Carolina got back in it. If not for some truly, truly bizarre clock management, may have had a shot at the end there. 
so I, I, th- I think Florida, I think, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sitting here today. I'm not going to tell you who's going to win the Florida Georgia game. That's a long ways away. Uh, but I, I, what I expected of Georgia in the preseason, we saw last night. Also, their slow start against Arkansas makes a lot more sense a week later. And this is often the case with early season games. After the Razorbacks, who hadn't won an SEC game since 2017, came out and shut down K.J. Costello in that Mississippi State offense just a week after he threw for 623 yards against LSU. Now, the Mike Leach roller coaster experience is not a new one. That is often what happens with them. Win a big game, lay an egg against somebody they should have beat. But, I mean, I can't emphasize enough just how bad Arkansas has been for the last couple years. Sam Pittman has had an almost immediate dramatic impact especially on their defense and and i and the credit there a lot goes to barry odom the former missouri head coach who's his dc yeah uh, i think that that is and look barry odom has experience against mike leach in the ra from the old big 12 days when he was on gary pinkle's staff so that's not a a shock but yeah this is very interesting to see that hey maybe you know what maybe Arkansas, we need to keep an eye on them. And it's still early, but it's good when you see something like this. And I I feel like that program's been down for a while. I don't know where it's headed necessarily. But, um, you know, shout out to Barry Odom and shout out to to Sam Pittman for for rallying the way they did. I mean, they've had – they hung with Georgia for a while and then to to basically shut down – air raid like that um no doubt um they basically just did the exact opposite so bo polini was very stubborn and stuck with press coverage the whole game even though he was without Derek stingley and so as leach himself said like they just kept like you're gonna let us throw over you we'll just keep throwing over you arkansas did the exact opposite and dropped everybody into coverage and you could tell that costello was getting impatient at times with having to dink and dunk like that and that is, I mean, that's the Jimmy Lake. That's how Jimmy Lake and Washington would shut them down the Apple Cup every year. So um, you take the good with the bad with Leach's offense. Do you want to talk right now a little bit about West Coast football coming back? I do, because obviously I'm very excited about it, as are you. Um, also, just to tease things, we do have some great mailbag questions coming up here in a second. But, um, yeah, Pac-12 announced its schedule. I don't think it got quite the fanfare as the Big Ten announcing its schedule. It's only seven games, but uh, some some definitely some interesting wrinkles. Starting right off with the fact that your network is going to do the, I believe, first ever. I assume nine a.m. L.A. time kickoff, um, USC ASU to open the season. Big noon kickoff, November seventh. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Pac-12 after breakfast. Count me in. Uh, I think it's two really good teams. Interesting twist. You got the L.A. kid who's the starting quarterback at Arizona State and Jaden Daniels. Got the Arizona kid who's the starting quarterback at USC and Keaton Slovis. And to me, that is going to be fun. But also, look, Arizona State, I talked to their strength coach this week. He and he was telling me they practice every morning anyway. Now, it's going to be different to have pregame meal at like 5.30 or whatever. But... Um, you know, I think people are going to be fascinated by that. And it's not just two run-of-the-mill teams are thrown out there. Those are two legit, what I think, top 25 teams going to play. And we'll see. You know, it's because 
it's not a fan issue right now because of obviously COVID and the restrictions on that. So we'll see how the teams do. But, you know, they've been off the field for so long and seen everybody else play. You know they're going to be pretty amped up to play no matter what time they kick. Yeah, even before the schedule came out, I was starting to think that and look it's the pack that season's going to be completely unpredictable because they've been off for so long and almost every team in that conference has had opt-outs um but i do kind of think usc might be the team to beat oregon has had some some pretty significant opt-outs that raking a new quarterback usc is is very established if you want to pull the oh why would you pick clay helton clay helton's problem has been non-conference games and he doesn't have to play any now so um if somebody wants to say, oh, this is ridiculous, they're playing a 9 a.m. game, I would counter with a few things. One, like you said, I mean, no fans in the stands is the only way you can you can do this. I, I do not think it's fair to ask tailgating fans to, to you know, start, or, or people who are, dri- like at Oregon, where fans drive for many hours away to come to the games to do that. This is a purely TV thing. Um it's like I've always said, like Pac-12 fans sometimes want to have it both ways. They hate the night games. They hate the 10.30 p.m. Eastern or 10.45 kickoffs when the East Coast is asleep. Well, here's your opportunity. Noon Eastern, those games do very well. I mean, look at the ratings for some of those big Ohio State games in that window last year. Uh, great exposure. And if you want to say, oh, it's unfair to make the kids play that early, it's not ideal but they are college kids. When I was in college, you, 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 I mean, they they fly home from road games at 2 in the morning. Uh, when I was in college, we would stay up all night sometimes. We would. I definitely showed up to tailgate at a Northwestern game or woke up to tailgate at 6 a.m. a couple times. They'll be fine. They're, they're, they're young. They're resilient. They'll be fine. So I'm not saying do it every week by any means, but once in a while, should be fun. And then the other thing I want to point out is um, – so playing a bunch of Friday games, and also they're not putting any of the games the first six weeks. So every so the the last week will be the one where the Big Ten's doing too, where they pair up the the teams based on the standings. But for the six that are already scheduled, none of those games are going on Pac-12 Network. They're all going on ESPN or Fox to try to get as close to the number that they were you know supposed to provide them. Which means that this season, while it's only seven games. Uh, is actually going to be their best exposure season in a long, long time, possibly ever. Nobody's going to be able to say, oh, you can't see the games. They're all on networks you get. Uh, they're at time win- time slots. There will still be Pac-12 after dark games, obviously, but there's going to be some games and time slots that you don't normally get to see them. I hope it's good football. I don't know if it will be because uh, this is a great opportunity for them. Yeah, and look, I think... Look, I think a lot of us on the West Coast, you miss the Pac-12 after dark game when everything kind of starts to wind down, especially I think yesterday there was, I think, all three games that I was like kind of looking at, which was uh, certainly Georgia-Auburn, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and LSU's uh, Bandy game on SEC Network were all 730 games. I think the last thing that I had going on maybe was UCF-Tulsa, is that right, on ESPN2? Yep, that was the last one. And by the way, nice nice win for Tulsa. Big upset. When I mentioned Oklahoma State earlier, remember they beat Tulsa. Um, right now, we're entirely dependent on BYU if we want to have some some packs, uh, what would normally be Pac-12 after dark action. But Mountain West coming back in a couple weeks. And uh, I noted this in the in the in my column Sunday morning. But you know who had a big week this week was BYU 
because first of all, they're really good. Uh, that, that much is apparent at this point. Zach Wilson is playing great. They've dominated the first three teams they've played. That being said, it's a very, very weak schedule, and it would be hard to get taken seriously. I'm not even talking playoff. I'm talking, you know, seriously enough by the committee to get into the top ten and and possibly make a New Year's Six Bowl when you're playing uh, Troy, Louisiana Tech, UTSA, Houston. We don't know. Might be decent. Texas State, Western Kentucky. However, the Mountain There's West has made the their schedule. At Boise State, November 7th, just got added. And San Diego State coming to Provo on December 12th. Those are two very respected programs. I mean, there's no margin for error. They got to go 10-0. and 0, But if they do, I think that that's a top 10. That's enough of a schedule to go undefeated against to be in the top 10, I think. Yeah, they were in my top 10 this week. Zach Wilson is healthy. He wasn't really healthy last year. He's, I mean, 11 incompletions on the whole season in three games. He's already accounted for that many touchdowns. So they run the ball really well. They're very physical. Uh, shout out to them. They thought they were going to be really good, and they look it right now. Uh, so, Stu, with that said, how about we go to the mailbag? Yes. As always, you can send your emails to the pod at gmail.com. And last week, we made a, a point of telling you that you should, if you can think of it before you go to bed on Saturday night, email those questions in because we do record on Sunday mornings, and many of you did. So what do you want to start with? I want to start with a Chad Justice from Raleigh, North Carolina, has an interesting question that I want to direct to you. Uh, Bruce and Stu, are we absolutely sure that Jimbo Fisher isn't Gene Chizik, with the only difference being he got his quarterback for more than one year? Hmm. Yeah, it's Gene Chizik has become the standard for people who want to, you know, kind of one hit wonder kind of thing. I I wouldn't go that far. I mean, if you remember, they won the they won twelve games and went to the Orange Bowl even before Jameis was their quarterback. And then even after Jameis wasn't their quarterback, they they you know you remember they played Michigan in the Orange Bowl. I think that was a ten or eleven wins team. The bottom didn't really fall out for him until his last year there. But at this point. Um, it's been a long time since he had like a, a the kind of season that you pay somebody seventy five million dollars for. And when I watched that game, the Alabama game, which, um, gosh, I can't, I'd love to give proper credit here who tweeted this, but the they said I feel like I've ever since Manziel left, I've watched the exact same Alabama A and M game every year since, and it's true. They A and M often goes into those games with a ranking next a number next to their name that would suggest this is going to be a competitive game. And it never is. Uh, much like we were talking about with Texas, not seeing the the, the stars, the, the performance match the star ratings. It's year three, I'm not seeing, I'm not watching AM games and seeing a bunch of guys that really jump out at me. And if anything, um, I mean, when you think about some of the guys, Kevin Sumlin's team's underachieved. There's no question. But you think about some of the guys that he had, right? Miles Garrett. Uh, Christian Kirk, Mike Evans, Manziel, obviously. Uh, like, they had big-time players. Who are the big-time players at AM right now? Well, I think they think Jalen Jones, the cornerback, is going to be. I think they hope uh, DeMarvin Leal will be. Um, but right now, I mean, we'll see if Isaiah Spiller is that. You know, Kellen Mond, I think a lot of us thought he was going to take a huge step forward under Jimbo because Jimbo has developed a bunch of quarterbacks. I would say he's maybe taken a step forward, but it's certainly not been a huge one. And 
I thought this was an interesting stat, um, just looking back at Jimbo. You know, in his last four seasons as a head coach, and this includes his last year at Florida State, he's 500 in conference play. Hmm. And again, you know, one of those years was with all his recruits at FSU in the ACC. It wasn't like a loaded gauntlet conference. And I think if you look at some of these, uh, again, it's not like it's it's disgraceful to be a 500 coach, you know, in, in conference play. But at the same time, you, you know, at one point, I think, I don't know if we had done our top 25 coaches rankings probably four years ago. Would Jimbo Fisher have been a top five coach? Yeah, and and I've gradually moved him a little bit further down each year, but at the same, but you know, he kept just thinking like national championship coach. You know, you got to give a little bit of a, a salute to that. I, one thing you just said, kind of offhanded. I don't know if you realized it, but you know, you said you thought Kellen Mond would develop because Jimbo's developed so many great quarterbacks. Who was the last great quarterback Jimbo developed? Uh, in terms of in terms of developed as a great college quarterback, or just college quarterback Jameis right Jameis's last season was 2014 so you know I know he developed Jameis he turned EJ Manuel into a first round pick Jamarcus Russell like he's done it in the past but it's starting to become like pretty far in the past it's not like any of his FSU quarterbacks after Jameis really turned into anything and then Kellen Mond I just think has been the same quarterback for four years now or three years um, what will be interesting to see once his time is over, um, you know, will the next guy be considerably better? Who knows? But he is what he is. I don't know. And um, uh, I'm not going to throw in the towel on them three games in, but he was hired for a reason to win a national championship. They made him that that you know that that plaque with with the date just to be filled in and. Nobody that watched that game or watched the last three Alabama A&M games would say they're anything anything close to that yet. Um, here's an interesting one from Brian Stewart in Buford, Georgia. Hey, Stu and Bruce, is Stetson Bennett the third best quarterback in the SEC? How crazy would that have been to say two weeks ago? Yeah, I'm curious. So we're going to say Kyle Trask. Yeah, I'm going to go Kyle Trask one, Mac Jones two. And then I guess the question is, would you go Matt Coral? Would you go KJ Costello, obviously, is in that mix. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Bo Nix is, is probably got a bigger name and a bigger profile, but Bo Nix right now ranks 13th in the SEC in passer rating. Um, I think that I don't, I don't want to jump to that, jump quite that far yet. But he has played better, and he took over in the second quarter of the opener, and he is completing 65% of his passes, 451 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, That's pretty good. So, I mean, is he playing better than Jarek Garantano? Arguably. Is he playing better than Kellen Mond? Yes. Terry Wilson? Yes. Felipe Franks? Yes. Bo Nix? Yes. So upper half, should we say he's upper half SEC quarterback? So far, I mean, look, it's really one game, and it was a good opponent, though, and it was on a big stage, and I think I would give him a lot of credit for that. So I think we'll know more by the end of this month where we are on that front, but um, you know, definitely props to him for, you know, it's a cool story of the kid who came in as a preferred walk-on, 
went to junior college, came back and got a scholarship. And a lot of people saw him as the fourth team guy at the middle of the summer. And Jamie Newman left and opted out. And uh, Dewan Mathis, I know they still like him, but you know he did, he struggled a, l- a little bit in his first chance to play. JT Daniels has been limited, and from what they've seen, they haven't seen enough to feel very confident in him. And they like what they've seen from Stetson Bennett. So again, I, I think it's encouraging. You know, it. You know, I asked you earlier about Florida and Georgia. I'm still gonna. I'm still leaning on Florida on this at this point. I still think this is Florida's year, but was very, very uh, impressed by what I saw from the dogs last night. No doubt. I ad- I admire your your consistency and dedication on that pick. Is it too early to talk hypothetical playoff stuff? Ian McFarlane in Canada, uh, Canada or Lock? Wait, it's La Canada, California. Yeah, Richard Mandeville is from La Canada. Do you remember him? Yes. Where and where? I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm in the state. But where is it? It's near where Guff grew up. If that helps you, it's near like the Pasadena area. That helps me. I'm not sure it helps the listeners. Yeah, I'm only here. I'm only here to try to help you, Stu. Okay, Stu and Bruce. The Big Twelve is a mess. Nobody from the group of five seems to be in position, even if BYU looks great. You're forced to bet your left pinky. Who takes the fourth spot in the playoff? A Pac-12 school, or a second SEC or Big Ten team? So I guess he's saying. That he's ruling the Big 12 out. He's ruling the group of five out. He's assuming one SEC team. He's assuming uh, Clemson, I assume, or Miami, or Notre Dame. And he's assuming a Big 10 team, which is a big assumption, by the way. They haven't played a game yet. Uh, fourth spot, who you got? I would lean towards the, the double up from a power power conference. That's my read right now. Um Look, if, if but if USC comes out and whoops Arizona State right out of the gate, um, you know I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little I'm still leery of USC. I I do think they're probably the the most positioned to have a chance to run the table. But I'll believe it when I see it, and I need to see something from them before we get into that. So uh, I'm going to go with the double up at this point. Look. I am just spent, I don't know, an inordinate amount of time talking about how excited I am for Pac-12 football to come back. That being said, the only way the Pac-12 is putting a team in the playoff is if the other conferences have to cancel a whole bunch of games. You're not, you can't put a 7-0 and team in, no matter how good they looked, over a team that, and, and I'm gonna, my answer to this, by the way, is second SEC team. And, and I, I don't see how you, I mean, without yet knowing how the standings are going to play out, it's going to be awfully hard to leave out that second SEC team that's played 10 conference games. So if that team is 9 and 2, they they uh, uh, they they probably will still have several quality wins, several teams that you respect. Now granted, you're doing this entirely off reputation. They didn't play any non-conference games. The Pac-12 won't have played any non-conference games and they don't have a great reputation, but uh, you're telling me you're going to leave out, you're going to take a 7 and 0 USC or 7 and 0 Oregon over an SEC team that beat they lie yeah, they lost twice but they also beat Auburn, LSU, Florida or Georgia. Like it's the SEC. I mean look at the top 5 right now. There's there's what? Four SEC in the top 5 or three SEC in the top 5? Cuz nobody else has really played yet though. <laughs> I mean the Big 12 is a mess and you know, we'll see if Miami somehow upsets Clemson, maybe different story. But it's not like, I mean, 
the Big 12 was in, feels like it's almost imploded in the first three weeks. And then you have two conferences that haven't played yet. And not even actually, not even close to playing. It's not like they're playing next week. Wait, you just made me think of something. What about two ACC teams? This is not last year's ACC. I mean, we've got, uh, in your top 10, didn't you have three ACC in the top six? I did, but again, my premise is those other, I'm not ranking teams until they play. Which is the right thing to do, by the way. No offense, Ralph Russo. You're taking the right approach. I appreciate that, Stu. It's very rare I get the compliment from you, but thank you. Um, Uh, Here, I'll play it out for you right now. Clemson takes an undefeated record to South Bend on November 7th and loses to the Irish. Is the the is Notre Dame undefeated at that point? Uh, we'll say that, that we'll say that Notre Dame has a loss. Um, Clemson comes back and Clemson comes back and beats Notre Dame in the ACC so title. So Notre Dame would have two losses. Yes, but Miami is sitting there with only one loss and that loss was to Clemson. I don't know. It's an interesting two ACC teams. Never in a million years would have predicted it could happen. Um, One more. All right, Stu. The last question we got. This question from Dan Klobuchar in Minneapolis. This season, I decided to revert to an old school way of watching college games. That means no iPad, no laptop, and not looking at my phone constantly. Well done, Dan. That takes a little more discipline than I feel like I have. Um, I watch one game at a time on the big screen. No second game, no third game, no Twitter, nothing. If two good games are finishing up at the same time, I will watch one and record the other. The downside is that I won't, will obviously miss some good plays. The upside is I won't wonder what just happened during a game that I had, that I had on for the past hour, and I won't spend 25% of the time reading, you can't call that, what a catch. Tweets of for sports writers without context, so I have no idea what game they're watching. Am I a genius? Or am I an idiot who isn't taking advantage of the available technology? How do you feel about this, Stu? I think he is a genius, and I and he just called out something that I'm guilty of myself, that all of us sports writers do for no good reason. Why are we live tweeting these games? Why are we shouting out like, oh, what a catch? These things live on Twitter forever. Nobody's going to know what that meant five minutes from now, but we do it anyway. I myself have been... I've always prided myself on the fact that I don't need the four TVs up at once. I can flip between the games and get into a pretty good rhythm and and not miss things. I've not been doing a very good job this year. And and at first I thought I'm out of practice. You know, it was, it was a long, long off season, but I think what is actually happening is that I'm getting sucked into Twitter too much and I'm spending too much time reading tweets and not enough time. Thanks to, I could have told you that. what you haven't watched games with me? How do you you just because of the volume? You're of tweets? High, yes, to borrow an NBA term, you're a high volume tweeter. The way to do it, you, you don't have to be off Twitter completely, but the way to do it is to zone in on the games, and then once you finally hit a moment where there's a commercial break or a lull, then go on Twitter see what you might have missed. the ma- The main benefit of Twitter on Saturdays is you can't watch everything. Right, Twitter is a good way to see, for instance. I was not. I did not have the ACC network on. I was not watching Clemson, Virginia, when Clemson cornerback Andrew Booth went up and made a Odell Beckham Jr. one-handed type catch on an interception in the end zone. But Twitter told me about it immediately and had the the highlight. So that's that's the great thing about Twitter on Saturdays. The bad thing is 
if you find your if you spend too much time actually tweeting or interacting with people you miss actual football so i think he's taking the right approach i admire the discipline though in particular about the two games coming down to a wire and recording the other i would definitely be flipping between the two i think you can handle flipping between two where it gets to be problematic is when there's like three or four games all coming down to the wire there's no good way to do that what's your setup bruce once i know you 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 spend part of the day at fox and they've got all the games on but once you get home what's your setup uh, I usually try to pick two games and just use the the flashback button. I'm not a third, uh, you know, like sit there and put an iPad up or anything. Um, it, honestly, at the end of the day, especially because my day s- starts at four, that I'm usually kind of on fumes by the time we get to, you know, that prime time window where there's two or three games. So... Um, you know, I didn't. I'll be honest. I saw only the last five minutes of the Tulsa UCF game. I was not. That was not in my rotation at all. Um, you know, and so, and that's and that's fine. You know, like I, I agree with you. The best part of of college football Twitter is the crazy play or the highlight of something that you probably couldn't see. Or the other thing that's actually good is you know we have a lot of big TVs, but only the sound is on one game at, at Fox and. So, you know, our pit, pit game was on against NC State, but I didn't know Jordan Addison, who's their best receiver, uh, was out of the game because I, I don't even remember who first tweeted it, that he was he had his pads off or whatever. But sometimes you find out injury information as well, maybe because the people who are, you may, even if you have a game that, that you're watching, you're not listening to the broadcast. And that's that can be invaluable as well. Yeah, if you're somebody who can put up you know people who show their like man cave setups with four screens going at once if you can actually keep track of all those games god bless you when i was at fox and would be in the avocado room with that wall of tvs as cool as it yes i remember you you really struggled in that in that environment i do remember yeah because you either end up moving your eyes around so much that you never actually pay attention to any of them or more often i just stayed on the big screen with the game that had the sound it didn't really matter that there were all these other games going on around it. So that, no, I did not thrive in that environment. It's too passive. I need the active, having the remote in my hands, taking control of the situation. All right. So as always, thank you for your questions. And you could send them on Saturday nights or early Sunday mornings to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, we will see them. When are we doing this again? Wednesday? Do you want to do shout outs? Oh, yeah. Uh, so we're going to go back to our on again, off again deal with shout outs. Stu, why don't you go first? Yeah, we got to try to, we need our producer to remind us every week to oh, do shout outs because we are, it's our fault. We are terrible at remembering them ourselves. Uh, okay. My shout out goes to the Chanticleers, the coastal Carolina Chanticleers. We were both so impressed with them when they blew, blew out Kansas and their speed and everything. But then like, you know, why am I really going to pay attention to them the rest of the way? But they played Arkansas State in the early window Saturday. Remember, Arkansas State uh, beat Kansas State, um, expected to be a contender in the Sun Belt, and they blew them off the field too. And Coastal Carolina, keep in mind, is has only been at F- in FBS for three years. Uh, they've not had a winning record yet since since moving up and joining the Sun Belt. As far as I, I'm not a Sun Belt aficionado by any means, but Based on what I've seen of that team, I don't know why they couldn't win the Sun Belt. They're good. 
Stu, my shout out it goes to TCU quarterback Max Duggan, uh, who had to deal with a heart condition that he had a procedure for and only really got back on the field last week and came back. As we said earlier, they were a double digit underdog against Texas and he was terrific against the Longhorns last year as a true freshman. He was terrific again yesterday. And shout out to Max for getting back on the field and doing it in spectacular fashion. I'm telling you, Gary Patterson didn't forget how to coach. He just didn't have a quarterback the last couple of years, uh, especially in that Cheez-It Bowl. So Max Duggan, if he continues to play like this, uh, could lead to my Oklahoma State TCU Big 12 title game. Um, before we go, one quick note. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, again, right now, it's the best promotion we've had in my three years at the company, three plus years at the company, a dollar a month to celebrate reaching one million subscribers. And you can get that by going to theathletic.com slash the audible. We'll see you next time. Now I think I'll die.